Please remain standing and pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, now, and please, Lord, we pray that you would stretch out your hand, the creative hand of the Spirit of God that brought forth the world, Lord, the hand that that, uh, spoke the Word of God into existence, Lord, the, the revealed Word we have in the Scriptures this morning. Could that same Spirit touch me, I pray, as the preacher of your Word. Lord, fill me with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and empower me to preach it. And I pray for everyone gathered here, Lord, that you would open hearts and minds and, Lord, uh, give us the ability to receive the truth of the scriptures. Lord, we come to you utterly dependent this morning, and we thank you that you hear our prayer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't know about at your house, but at my house, we're getting to the end of the garden season. My neighbor says it looks like a rainforest next door, more than a, in a garden. I don't know that that means there's really anything growing there, but it looks pretty, pretty lush. One, one of the things I love to do during the garden season is to, is to make salsa, and to keep that salsa from being wimpy salsa, nobody likes wimpy salsa, uh, you, have to, you have to put a little picante in your salsa. You have to spice it up a little bit. So I always make sure that there are some jalapenos. Oh, maybe I'll go crazy and put a habanera in there. You know, I'll put something in there uh, to float around in the mix and to to spice it up a little bit. And that's why I'm so glad that we get this depiction of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark this morning. This is spicy Jesus. This is Jesus Picante. I've exhausted my Spanish for the day. (laughs) This is not the flannel board Jesus of Sunday school days of yore. Some of y'all don't know the high-tech method of a flannel board. It was literally a board of flannel where they cut out colorful little flannel Jesus or a a shepherd or something, and it would just stick by, I guess, static electricity would stick it right there. And we were all impressed by that when I was in the fourth grade and, and younger because we just didn't know any better. We didn't have technology to really excite us. This, though, is not that Jesus, the Jesus of flannel board times where, you know, he's, he's um, patting little children on the head and, and snuggling lambs. That's not the Jesus we get in this passage of Scripture. And even though some commentators try to mitigate how Jesus addresses the woman in this passage of Scripture, he really does actually call her a dog and it is not meant as a term of endearment. Most of us are a little shocked that Jesus would be calling someone a dog, especially someone who was just coming to him seeking healing for an afflicted and tormented child. It sounds absolutely callous. It sounds derogatory. Yet, really, if we look in this passage, I think we will find something that's actually incredibly sweet and encouraging. In the story of the woman, we call her the Syrophoenician woman. That's the area that she's from, that area of Tyre and Sidon. The Syrophoenician woman, and then the healing of the man in the Decapolis who could not hear or speak. In those passages, in those pericopes, those little snippets of stories, God reveals precious truth about two things that are critical to all of us. Prayer and grace. Prayer and grace. 
Now, we need to get a little background about this passage in order to understand it better. Jesus has gone far north into Gentile territory. What's a Gentile? Well, most likely you are. I certainly am. Uh, all of us who are not of the, uh, of, of the tribe of, uh, of Israel, we're not the descendants by blood of Abraham and Sarah, we're Gentiles. And Jesus has gone far north into Gentile territory following, following a hostile encounter he has had with the Pharisees. He seems to be seeking some solitude from the crowds that were following him everywhere he went as well. But he is unable to remain anonymous since his fame has even spread to the Gentile Greek-speaking areas north of Palestine. Now, the woman who approaches Jesus in the house, she has a daughter who has a demon, it says, and she approaches him, and it says that she was a Gentile. She was from the area of Tyre and Sidon, and from ancient times, that location, Tyre and Sidon, was historically linked with the very worst type of paganism, a form of Baal worship or Baal worship involving ritual sexual perversion and child sacrifice. And all over that Mediterranean uh, basin where those Phoenician uh, uh, colonies ended up, all the way to Carthage actually in North Africa, we see that type of Baal worship. We find graveyards with children buried in pots, hundreds and hundreds of children that had been sacrificed to Baal. Jezebel, in fact, the wife of Ahab, the evil queen of Israel. That's so cool that we can say that. It's real. She was an evil queen around the year 870 B.C., married to King Ahab, who was no great shakes himself, a wicked king of Israel. Jezebel actually had her roots in Tyre and Sidon. She was queen and he was king during the time of the prophet Elijah. Again, 870 B.C., thereabouts. And she was a priestess, the scripture tells us, of Baal. Now, the Messiah had come. By this time, Jesus has arrived. He's come as the fulfillment of God's promises to the people of Israel. They were and are God's chosen people. They have a special and privileged place in God's plan of salvation history, God's plan for humanity. And by the way, this is one of the reasons that it just astonishes me that any Christian could be anti-Semitic. It's because we are utterly dependent on Israel for our salvation. Of the people of Israel, St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 9, theirs is the adoption as sons. Who? The people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It was only after the leaders of Israel had rejected Jesus, and then the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection, and then the sending of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that the gospel was open to the Gentiles. So up until that point, the Gentiles were not being addressed. So from the outset, this woman that comes to Jesus has three strikes against her in approaching him to ask for anything. First of all, she was a woman, and it was considered scandalous and improper for an unrelated woman to approach and have interaction with a Jewish rabbi, let alone a Gentile woman. Secondly, she was a pagan as far as we know. Mark does not tell her that she is a follower of the God of Israel. We have no indication of that. And as far as we can tell, she was a pagan. And the third thing was she was a Gentile, like us. 
She was a Gentile, not of the house and lineage of Jacob. Now, the point to all this is this. Listen, this woman has absolutely no claim whatsoever to Israel's Messiah or the promises God made to his chosen people. She has no claim on God, none whatsoever. She has nothing to bargain with. She has no merit in herself. She is a pagan Gentile woman. And yet Jesus grants her request. Did she deserve it? Did she earn this in any way? Not at all. Jesus relates to this woman, here's the key, totally, are you ready, by grace. She is exactly just like you and me. She is exactly just like all of us. She is totally relating to Jesus with no entitlement. Just like her, we all come to Jesus as dependent sinners. We all approach God totally on grace alone. What is grace? Grace is God's unearned, unmerited favor and goodwill to us people who don't deserve it. And that is the only hope we have. The only hope you and I have is that God somehow loves people who are unlovable. That is our only hope. And the good news is that he does. In fact, I think that's God's business is loving the unlovable. Grace is God's unmerited love and favor to those of us who don't deserve it, which means all of us. We are all like those little dogs under the table waiting for the scraps to fall. God does not owe Ben Sharp anything. God does not owe you anything. Just because you and I tithe or give sacrificially to the mission of Christ church or have daily devotions. Heck, you might be doing morning and evening prayer. You might even do noonday prayer in Compline. And we don't even know what Compline is. You could witness or regularly attend the church or frequently receive the sacrament. None of that, none of that earns any favor with God. None of that entitles us to any of God's blessings. We always come to him like puppies begging for supper. I like a great Pyrenees because they counter-surf. <laughs> so what moved Jesus' heart in this way to respond to this woman's audacious request? Well, the very first thing here and the obvious thing embedded in this passage is her faith. She believed that Jesus could help. No, she knew that he could help. She called him, listen to what she calls him, son of David. Son of David is actually a messianic title. She's saying, I believe you are Israel's Messiah. I'm not in Israel. I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile, but you're the Messiah. Coming to Jesus with this request involved an element of risk because, listen, brothers and sisters, faith Think about it. Always involves risk. It is amazing to me that so many people who claim to follow a Savior whose central symbol is an instrument of execution should be so risk-averse. I mean, think about it. The whole, everything we read in the New Testament, Peter getting out of the boat. This is a story in the Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels. Lord, if that is you, you know, bid me to come to you across the water. 
Jesus said, get out of the boat and come to me. And he did. I mean, yeah, he started to sink later, but he got out of the boat. Christian faith is inherently risky. It's risky. And even prayer is a risky endeavor. It's risking that God may say no to our request. That's why I think many of us don't pray is because we're afraid that God will say no. In fact, we may risk that as far as we can tell, God has not answered at all. Prayer is risking letting go of control. God might do something unexpected if we start inviting Him and including Him in the process. I had a pretty major prayer request. I won't go into it the other day. And I, I, I said, but <laughs> thinking back, I'm not sure I should have prayed it like this, but Lord, you know, however you want to do that, well, guess what? That's just what He does, however He wants to do that. It's risky. But her faith, gains her a response. Her humility is another thing that she brings. She didn't argue with Jesus when he compared her to the dogs that wait for scraps to fall from the table. She comes to Jesus with absolute dependence, an attitude that realizes that she has no rights whatsoever to come and make demands of Israel's king and God. Yet she comes in her humility. And I think probably, and this is the thing that makes her stand out, not only is Jesus a little picante in this story, this woman is definitely picante. She's spicy. She talks back to Jesus. Yes, she does. You know, it's not right to give the children's food to the dogs. Yeah, but the dogs get the scraps. Hmm. Her persistence, the nature of faith is to refuse, listen, the nature of faith is to refuse to lose hope in God, even when it doesn't make sense to not give up. The whole Christian faith is rooted in the fact that when everything seems lost, when we've gone, uh, when the worst thing that could possibly happen happens, a crucifixion, we can still hope in God. Because God is a God of resurrection. This woman seems to say, I am not going to go away until you do something about this, Jesus. She would not take no for an answer. And I think she reminded Israel's God who had shown up in the person of Jesus Christ of another event that happened way back with the patriarch Jacob who wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night long and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. Now, the good news in this story is this. Brothers and sisters, God's scraps, the crumbs that fall from the table, are better than anything you have ever tasted. His scraps, the floor sweepings, I am so glad to have been just one of the dogs under the children's table. It is a place, God made that a place of privilege and blessing. I'm so glad that Jesus fed me just a crumb because God's scraps are better than anything the world has ever offered. The tastiest and choicest delicacies that Satan would deal out will never satisfy and will never fill. 
but just the scraps from God's table will fill you to overflowing. Just the scraps. You wonder if God is able to meet your need? Just a crumb from his table is more than enough. Think about the, the, the man in the Decapolis. That means the ten cities. The deaf, mute man had just had a scrap from the table, and he couldn't stop talking about the goodness of God even when Jesus told him, told him to tell no one. In verse 36, it says, now you've got to think about the irony here. There is irony in this passage. The man has never heard or spoken, and the first command he gets from Jesus is, don't tell anybody. Don't say a word. I've been doing that my whole life, Jesus. And it says the more he urged him not to say anything, the more he, the man told it abroad, he and all of his friends. They couldn't stop talking about it because just a crumb is more than enough to fill you up. Even God's scraps are better than the best meal you have ever tasted. God's scraps are richer than the richest fare, more beautiful to the eye than the most pleasing banquet. Our parents told us, do not feed the dog from the table because it will just want some more. And they were exactly right. I just want some more. Lord Jesus, thank you for the scraps. May I please have some more. Don't feed the dogs from the table. They'll just want Every Sunday in this place and all across the world, Jesus welcomes Gentile sinners like me to his table and in the process elevates us from mutts to sons and daughters. We don't have to stay under the table. He gives us a seat. This morning, Arnold, you are coming to the waters of holy baptism. Brother, you are an undeserving Gentile just like the rest of us. Your only hope is God's grace. You bring nothing to this, nothing at all. And after your baptism where water is poured over your head and we believe that the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit joined with that sacrament and your faith will wash over you in a way that you have never anticipated. God is going to do something. He's going to put something on you this morning the doctor can't take off. Things you never anticipated. You do not deserve this, but you deserve, but you have a God who loves and is gracious, and he calls us to his table and opens this banquet to you. And not only that, after your baptism, Jesus invites you to his banqueting table. We deserve crumbs, but Jesus offers himself right here. And Arnold, after we serve the altar team who will be serving everyone else, you are the first person who will receive Holy Communion in this place this morning. Welcome to the table, not as a mutt, but as a child of God. And that's why Anglicans have traditionally prayed, and we always pray this in Advent and during Lent, so you probably remember this. As we come to the table, and some of us pray it under our breath each Sunday, I know for a fact. Jim Cronkey didn't pray it under his breath. He just prayed it out loud. <laughs> we do not presume to come to this your table, Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your, in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same, Lord, and I like this translation of the modern English version, 
who always delights in showing mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, and that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.